everyone, welcome back to the podcast. End of the week of Sunday, October 17th, the 21st week after Pentecost for those keeping track at home. I hope this finds you doing well. Uh, a couple of announcements. This coming Monday, so the day after uh, church on Sunday, October 18th, we are going to have happy hour at Shadow Grove Brewing at 5 p.m. So come out. You don't have to drink. They have plenty of non-alcoholic beverages or you can grab a pint. It's a new brewery close to the church. And uh, yeah, hope to see you there. And on Saturday, that's October 23rd, we're going to have our Halloween event at Mission Hills. We'll have food trucks, live music, vendors. Uh, there's going to be a costume contest. All the vendors are wearing costumes. So we're going to have a booth. Come out, wear a costume. Uh, we'll pass out candy to trick-or-treaters, and it'll be a good time hanging out with our community. All right, so it is the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, and we are in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They said, Allow one of us to sit on your right and the other to sit on your left when you enter glory. Jesus replied, you do not know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive. But to sit at my right or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it has been prepared. Now, when the other 10 disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. Jesus called them over and said, You know the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles. They show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will have to be a servant to all. For the human one didn't come to be served but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, uh, as many of you know, uh, we'll continue this conversation on Sunday. So I want to offer some thoughts on this podcast, and then I will pose some questions for our conversation on Sunday. But as you can tell this in this text, our, our theme for this week is going to be around um, the idea of unknowing. Um, that the gospel, what Jesus is talking about here with, uh, with James and John, who are really bold, mind you. I love how at the beginning of this, they're like, hey, man, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> I was just like, wow, that's pretty bold. Uh, I don't think I would, I would be, be so bold. But anyway, so we're, we're going to be talking about this, uh, this text on Sunday and the idea about how the gospel or the Christian life, the Christian spiritual life, uh, whatever terms we want to think about when we uh, think about what it means to be a Christian, or I know that many of us are uncomfortable even using the, the label Christian these days, but just kind of bear with me for a second, that whatever it means to live out the way of Jesus that Jesus is demonstrating or talking about to James and John, and then the, the rest of the disciples here, that whatever we think it is, it's probably not what we think. And we have to remember we are in the gospel of, of Mark, this um, lectionary cycle. And 
so it's it's important to always think about okay well what is what is that early mark community what are they thinking about when this text is being given to them that this is the gospel uh for that community and tyranny and and violence in rome was at a fever pitch when they're receiving this gospel so the community of of mark is perhaps wrestling with um what it means to uh, follow Jesus, what it means to uh, understand power differently than the tyranny and violence of Rome. And we see that in this text, Jesus is juxtapositioning, um, juxtapositioning what James and John uh, are, the paradigm of power that they're um, mapping on to how Jesus's ministry is, is going about. So uh, we know through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is healing people, He's feeding people, and the paradigm that James and John are still operating under is the paradigm of empire. Hey, 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 you know, we want to be, we call shotgun. We want, we want uh, to be secretary of state and vice president when, when you come into your, when you come into power. Like, that's, that's what they're jockeying for here is they are operating under the paradigm of tyranny and violence, which is I think totally understandable and, and relatable. Uh, I can't help but think that we probably do this in, in so many different ways. And we have certain expectations that we bring to our lives in our, um, not only our religious or spiritual lives, but our political lives and, and personal lives. Uh, we think in terms of the categories that, uh, you know, we're products of our time. So we think in those, in the categories uh, that we live our lives. So the categories in the ways in which uh, James and John and the disciples would have understand their uh, personal and political lives are completely different than those categories that, that we have today. So, so Jesus is trying to communicate that uh, his way, uh, the, the way the kingdom of God, uh, uh, the cross, nonviolent resistance, um, is liberating, but not in the ways that they think it is, and probably not in the ways that we often think it will be for us or maybe desire for it to be during our time. Um, maybe a question for us this morning, and, and we, maybe we can talk about it a little bit on Sunday, you know, are the lives of Christians today characterized in service to others? Because that's essentially what he's talking about is, uh, you know, not in this text, but he says, you know, the first will be last, the last will be first. He says the same here. To to be next to me, to understand my way, you have to become a servant to all. So our Christians today, whether our, our lives, our Christians' lives, um, characterized by service to others, the planet, the marginalized, for the purpose of liberation. And I took the CEB translation this week because it uses this word uh, liberation at the end of this. He, it says in verse 45, the last verse uh, that we read this morning, uh, I have come not to serve, but to be served, to give uh, his life, the human one, uh, the son of man, to give his life to liberate many people. And in a lot of English translations, that word is not liberate. That word is, uh, you probably know if you've been in church, a ransom for many is what the phrase is, uh, typically uh, <laughs> how it typically goes in the English. Uh, but I like this um, usage of liberation here in the CEB translation. Uh, because ransom, there's all sorts of problems with um, 
substitutionary atonement, uh, ransom theory, the salvation, all those kinds of things we don't have to get into, but um, it's not that Jesus is dying here or that he's, he's predicting his death in, in this chapter in the Gospel of Mark to pay some kind of debt to an entity or God. But what Jesus is demonstrating here is that the way of the cross, Jesus's way of living, is living with such great love, such great vulnerability, that he's even willing to die for the liberation of all. And Jesus's life, kind of broadly speaking, follows uh, the archetype uh, of a servant, in that he gives of his life in service, in healing, for the liberation and freedom of all people, all things, not just one particular tribe or group. And this is what I think he's calling his disciples into at the end of this text, um, and, and calling us into, to reframe their understanding of power, control, and hierarchy that is still boxed in by the, the mind of empire, we could say. And I'm including us in this as well, because it forces us to operate under the same notions um, of maintaining power and control. So, uh, so Jesus' life and death speak uh, of liberation, but not necessarily for the reasons that we expect or that uh, they expect, which would be you know, insurrection or maybe some kind of uh, zealous revolution. And we often say at Mission Hills that the gospel is about downward mobility, which is difficult for his closest disciples here to understand. And it's difficult for us because we live in an up and to the right culture of achievement and progress, that our lives are, um, the success of our lives are determined by if our graph is going up and to the right. And yet the way of the cross and the way of Jesus as laid out in this text is, is about downward mobility. It's about service. It's about losing your life in order to find it. Jesus is telling his disciples and Mark is expressing in his gospel that Jesus's path is the way of the cross. It's a path of descent and not ascent. And I like this phrase, you know, when James and John ask, um, you know, that they want to be on his left and on his right. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking. And uh, it's almost like, yeah, they, d they don't know what they're asking, but it's like they can't even know what they're asking. And there's, there's a little bit of a, like, a extractable spiritual truth there for me that there's something about unknowing that, that leads us to a deeper kind of knowing, that there's a little bit of humility that he's calling for here, and they can't even see it because they don't even know what they're asking. And he's like, you, you, know, you, don't, you don't really know what you're asking there. Uh, and obviously, Gospel of Mark is alluding to the cross on the left and the right. You know, Jesus was crucified uh, between uh, two other people on his left and his right. So that's what perhaps the Gospel of Mark is alluding to here as well. Um, ultimately, I think this text not only offers us a mirror to see our, to see our own grasp for control and power, uh, but Jesus is once again decentering the human experience, reminding us that the kingdom of God is more unknowable and more mysterious than we can ever imagine. And we can call this type of awareness epistemological humility, vulnerability, awe, mysterium tremendum, uh, kind of a awakening. And uh, a practice of this awareness can, can just be called prayer. Um, 
You know, there's something about uh, faith that is more about unknowing than knowing. Uh, sometimes we we often associate faith with some kind of um, assuredness or certainty, but the practice of, of prayer, even though that word has lost much of its use and meaning today, uh, is really about this uh, humility, vulnerability, um, the unknowing, not operating under the paradigms of empire that say, we, we want to be on the left and we want to be on the right. It's about uh, relinquishing our control rather than grasping for some kind of control or power. And prayer is, a, you know, it might not be as much of a useful word, but it's a way of practicing this kind of epistemological humility, faith, vulnerability, awe, awakening, uh, pr maybe perhaps uh, practicing uh, putting on the mind of Christ, as Paul might say. Uh, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say, what is the good news in a life of unknowability? Maybe what I would call uh, beautiful unknowability, vulnerability, a life that is uh, expressed by gratitude and in service. And I tend to think of it in terms of remembering the infinite nature of the universe, 13.8 billion years in the making. And yet also there's something about the immediate presence of God in everything and in everyone in the present moment, this moment, the next moment. And I think there's a truth uh, of the good news that this is absolutely liberating because it liberates us from the necessity to constantly problem solve or run away or <laughs> feel like we need to be, uh, to have some certain status at Jesus's left or right or to attain whatever we think will eventually bring us wholeness and completeness. James and John, uh, they, they can't see or know what they're asking for is actually a death sentence. And they don't know that there's no calling shotgun in the kingdom of God because the mechanisms of power and control of empire is, it's not a, it's not a truth that's preceded by love. Because whatever we want to call it, truth, ultimate reality, the kingdom of God, the way of Christ, uh, these are always preceded by love for the liberation of all things, which is present here and now and in every moment. It's absolutely 100% uh, free. And this is the, the powerful notion of grace. And even, I think even well-intentioned uh, churches and church people, and we probably do this all the time ourselves, it's very natural to to center ourselves in the narrative that we we're always thinking about um, even you know what 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 does our church stand for or how does our church get involved in important um, societal issues and um, uh, issues of injustice and uh, what are the expectations for um, how we want to experience God in the community and the changes that we want to see in our um, in our neighborhood in our city etc or it may be even how we wish people would change. But I think there's something powerful even to step outside of that pattern of centering ourselves and to see that that is still, uh, we, you know, we're coming off of September and talking about climate change. Like it's still an anthropocentric 
worldview is incredibly limiting, where it centers humans as part of the story. Um, and if we're thinking uh, cosmically, um, th that shifts a little bit. So it's kind of funny that the Old Testament reading in the lectionary this, uh, for this Sunday is from Job, and it's a very decentering of the anthropocentric worldview. Most of you probably know it, and I'll read it in part, uh, starting in verse 38, ver or chapter 38, verse uh, 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? This is God talking. Where were you where I, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements of the earth? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all heavenly beings shouted for joy, can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters can cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds cling together? So it's this series of rhetorical questions uh, you know, from God talking to Job about the nature of the universe. Um, you know, uh, the obvious answer is we, the, the universe is, is much more unknowable than knowable. Even, you know, thousands of years later, you know, even our best science is starting to say the, the universe is even more mysterious perhaps than we thought. There's still so much we don't know. And, you know, spiritually speaking, this is, um, phrase I like is mysterium tremendum, the mysterious beauty of the sheer unknowability of God in the universe, which I think dashes our, our hubris, our best intentions, our biggest accomplishments, and our short collective histories. Uh, everyone has probably heard the stat that if measurable time were condensed into 24 hours, humans would have only existed for the last 77 seconds. We haven't been here all that long, and yet we still center our own lives. We're still self-centered. We still center the human narrative, even if we think out a little bit uh, more broadly. We still center um, human history, and yet we are just a, such a small fragment of the cosmic story. And we're probably like James and John and the other disciples who are mad at James and John because they asked first. I always love that that part of the story, it's like, oh, God, they asked, like, we, I didn't know we could ask if we could be on Jesus' left and right, and then obviously Jesus corrects them all, but that we are like them, building up for our own control and power and our own little empires, um, hoping perhaps that if the good people get in power, then we'll be, we'll be set, we'll be okay, uh, but Jesus' path oddly leads to the cross, and his message of, of revolution doesn't come in the way that his disciples expect or those living under the violence of Rome after the fall of Jerusalem perhaps want. The way of Christ is a path of liberation. It's a path of liberation through loving service, even into death. And we know that from, from history. James and John probably face suffering after Jesus' crucifixion themselves. So uh, to wrap this up, how do we live in light of God's grace, which is, which is not something far off in the future, but something here and now, something 
liberating us from the pursuit of our own happiness, our own satisfaction, whatever we think that is or whatever we think will get us that. Do I mean, do we even have uh, faith that that kind of unknowability, that kind of epistemological humility, that uh, humility, that decentering of our own story, do we even see that as as liberating? I mean, I th I think that there's liberating grace in this present moment for for all people in all things. Particularly, I think this message is is poignant for the early Markan community who's in the midst of suffering. And perhaps what Mark is trying to communicate to them and to us that that this grace is actually really present, palpable in the midst of our suffering, our vulnerability. And that liberation leads us into a life of service. Because living from that space, we don't see ourselves as the center. We see Christ as the center, which is just a way of saving that everything belongs in Christ. Everything is an outpouring of God's love. Everything is sacred in time, and that every experience, every person, every plant, every whatever, is a unique expression of the divine unfolding God's self in every moment. So may this mystery bring us into humility, love, hope, and may our love be expressed in service and in gratitude for this brief and holy divine life we get to share together. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Amen.